0: standing as we have the scripture reading. Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 57. Open your Bibles if you have that and read along with me. The passage will be behind me and on the monitors on the sides for you also. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Immortality, and when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immorality, <laughs> immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, "Death is swallowed up in victory." O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power Sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: chapter 15 1 Corinthians And even look at the fact that uh, no one in the history of the world, save for maybe a few people, has ever been that excited about Popeye's chicken. Which begs the question, why are they so excited? Okay, we're, there's some divisiveness here, but okay. Why would anyone be so excited that they would take a selfie of Popeye's chicken? Well, in Japan, it's different. You can't get Popeyes or American fast food. So it was a great excitement when one of us, uh, me or my two younger brothers, would play a sport because our sports league played against American-based teams. And you guessed it, the only place you could get Popeyes chicken, real fried chicken like you could get here, is on the American basis. And so they are not actually that uncommon. Our school kind of had a market was going. When you knew someone had a soccer game or a volleyball game, uh, people would come to you and be like, hey, can I give you five bucks and you can bring me back Taco Bell? Or, or they would be like, your, your mom would send you with like 20 bucks so you could buy four Subway sandwiches. I remember thinking Subway was like the most delicious, best thing in the world. Sarah's making a like sticking out tongue face right now because it doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone long for this stuff? I even remember uh, playing one soccer game and we were getting so exhausted uh, and one of the uh, players on the team suddenly yelled out, Popeyes! And then another guy, when he was getting ready to kick the ball, yelled, Taco Bell! And pretty soon it caught on that someone would yell, Subway! And the whole other team would echo, Subway! And we all knew what was coming after the game. We were so excited that it pushed us through to the end. We knew what was coming, and it gave us the energy and the ability to get through. Now, here this morning, most of us would have to be promised something a whole lot more than Subway to push us like that. Maybe for you it is Popeye's. If so, I'm not judging. But whether we recognize it and readily admit it or not, we all have motivators that get us up out of bed in the morning. Maybe you know there's a vacation coming. In a few weeks, you're leaving to that trip to Italy and you know that it's coming and it just motivates you to go through the next few days. Every time you wake up, you're like, I know I can get through work. I know I can do this because vacation is coming. Or maybe it's because you know that uh, the end of the school year is in sight. You can make it through these final few weeks. You can make it through that final through test because every time you drive by Humble Park, you can just feel the sprinklers waiting for you. You know that the summer is coming and what is already yours is just there in anticipation. What about the resurrection? Our future new life with Christ in heaven. That He is the first person being resurrected has paved the way for us. Is that something that we look forward to? that gets us up in the morning, that drives the way we relate to people in the morning, like the American fast food at a soccer game. This seems to be what Paul is saying this morning. That we, as believers, should be longing for the resurrection. That we should be longing for heaven. And at face value, we would agree. If you've been around church at all, you would say, yeah, that's something that we talk about a lot. But if we step back and ask ourselves, when it comes to putting this into practice, putting our time, our money and effort where our mouth is, most of us, myself included, would have to admit that we have a hard time with it. Our lives do not reflect a longing for the resurrection. And that's why I believe that this statement has lost its potency, its radicalness. But why? I would venture to say that it is because we're not sure why, and we're not convinced on why, we should long for heaven. We look at the resurrection of Christ and the promise of our new life, and belief is good. We can believe the idea and we can get behind it, but it's not enough to motivate us through our every day. Our thinking on this conversation on this in this matter is not such that we get built up with passion and anxious for the day when we will begin eternity that it moves us into action. And yet, this is what Paul seems to say. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, why would we long for heaven? So as we seek to answer this question this morning, I want to go through this passage and we're going to begin in chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other kind of grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. For the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We see the first answer to our question in the doubts raised by the Corinthians. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Kerry, uh walked us through as Paul defended the legitimacy of the resurrection. For the rest of chapter 15 now, uh, Paul is going to move from the why of the resurrection to the how of the resurrection. And so we can imagine the skepticism that laced the questions of the Corinthians as they asked, But how are the dead raised? And with what kind of bodies do they come? Like many of us this morning, they face many roadblocks in the way before they can find themselves longing for heaven. But Paul, in this first point, takes these cynical questions and uses them to explain that we long for heaven because there we will be transformed. So Paul begins by using two analogies and the first, uh, takes a page from Jesus' playbook. He uses seeds. As seen in verse 36 and 37, the seed is seemingly dead. Buried as something small and naked. We would be hard-pressed to find something weaker and so vulnerable than a seed. But what Paul counts on us knowing is that this same seed will eventually become a giant tree. It would be easiest for us to compare and to imagine an apple seed. When you get to the core of an apple, we know the seed is this small little thing. And if we were to take this seed to someone who did not know that the process is that the seed becomes a tree, and we were to explain to them, hey, look at this thing, it's one day going to be a tree like that. If they did not know, they would think we're absolutely ridiculous. Come on, there's no way that this tiny thing could become a tree. But for us who know, the opposite is true. We look at them and say, what kind of foolish person are you that you do not understand this? Of course a seed becomes a tree. And so we find that God has designed the seed to become a tree. And that's how it works. But it is not the end in itself for this seed to be a tree. But Paul points out in verses 42 to 43 that the contrast between our lives now and our res- resurrected bodies one day are like this seed; They will one day undergo a transformation from the way that they are now. As verse 42 says, our bodies are now characterized by death. They are perishable. We are quickly rotting away with every passing moment moving towards death. death. But it goes beyond our spiritual bodies because Paul says that it's our spiritual lives as well. We are, uh, we are dishonorable and bodies of weakness. But, while our bodies are now perishing, they will become the imperishable, never to decay. While we are now dishonorable, we will be raised in glory. Where our lives can be summed up in weakness now, they will one day be defined by power. Because God has not left us to rot here in death, but has in store for us a great transformation into life. The second doubt of the question that is raised in the question that is raised is, through the expo- is answered through the explanation that these heavenly bodies reflect the rest of God's creation. Paul again exposes the foolishness of their question, reminding them of something else in creation that they take for granted as truth. There are different kinds of flesh in this world. There is one for humans, one for animals, one for birds, one for fish. Paul suddenly nods back to the whole created order, the creation story in the beginning of Genesis, that God created them each uniquely. And Paul's point here is that the resurrection reflects the same thing that has already been going on. God also uniquely created a resurrected body. Just as the sun, moon, and stars each serve a unique function to suit their unique purpose. The sun shines brighter to give light in the day. The moon differs from the stars because God has designed it that way. Paul is practically shouting to us, look around you. I've designed everything to point to the same reality that is true of the resurrection. So it should not be a surprise to us that God has already created a unique resurrected body. But should the Corinthians find themselves like us, maybe lost this morning in the analogy, Paul draws the truth out again in verse 44. The resurrected is not merely a retuning of our, new, of our natural body here, but is a new spiritual body, distinctly created. In Paul's answer to these doubting questions, we should find ourselves more than just convinced by his answers, finally getting on the same page. We should find ourselves in awe of God's great design that He designed the naked seed to one day become a great tree, that He created the sun, moon, and stars and one day has for us a unique and new, transformed, resurrected body. And in knowing that that is to come, we should long for heaven, knowing that there we will experience the great transformation God has in store, that we'll leave behind, behind these earthly, perishable bodies and then we'll inherit new ones, specifically designed by God. These two contrasting bodies also give us our second reason for why we would long for heaven as we look now at verses 45 through 49. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the man as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as the, is the man of heaven, so al, also are those who are of heaven, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul paints in these verses two contrasting figures that characterize the natural and the spiritual: the first Adam is. Uh, is defined, as it says in Genesis 2-7, as being given breath and therefore being a living being. But he is the natural man, born of dust and characterized by it. Perishing, weak and dishonorable, as the previous verses stated. We are now characterized by Adam, the natural man. We are bearers of the image of of the man of dust. And we might be tempted to think that this is all right. That our life here is not that bad, that being a natural being is okay. But the reality is that with each passing moment, we are rotting, approaching death, because the natural only has one ending, and it is death. But it is there that we find our in the broken natural man our second reason that we long for heaven, because as verse 46 says, it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. This broken existence that we now live is put in perspective by the image of the second man, the final man, the last Adam, uh, who became a life-giving spirit, the one who is not of dust, but of heaven, Jesus Christ. These verses call back to uh, chapter 15, verse 22, where it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ should all, all will be made alive. As we stand now bearing the image of Adam, we long... Because we know that this is not where we are meant to stay. Our life does not conclude in death, but in Christ, in life. The natural comes first, and then the spiritual. And then, one day, we will bear the image of Christ. We long for heaven, because there, we will bear His image and be united for, with Him. Here on this earth, we will never fully be united to Christ in the same way because we live in a sin-ridden world that constantly tears at our heart, desiring us, keeping us from being 100% devoted to Him. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are a believer, if you are redeemed, we do live by the Spirit. And we can say, like Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We still live in a natural, broken world. And until heaven, we will never be able to escape. One commentator put it in perspective uh, for me, saying that even when we are pursuing Christ with all that we think we have, even if we feel like there's nothing us holding back, that we are uh, pursuing Him day in and day out, that is but a glimpse of what it will be like to be united with Christ one day. That we can't fully understand or know what it is like now. But in that, should cause longing to be united with Him. And I believe here that we must also examine our hearts. For, we know that for the Corinthians, they found themselves satisfied with the natural. We've seen throughout this book that they were distracted by other relationships and unwillingness to make sacrifices, and it all seemed to be about me here and now. I think part of the reason that we find ourselves not fully longing for heaven that we are so satisfied with this earth. We're too content here. We do, as the North American church, have it so extremely easy. There's no trials, no persecution. It's easy to live the Christian life. Everything seems good, just like the Corinthians. So often we don't perceive a need for what's coming next. But we can't forget that our life now is characterized by death. There is no other ending, no, no matter how comfortable it gets. It is always going to end in death, but it is so that it might give way to life, that we might one day be united with Christ. If we find ourselves not going through life longing for what we know is to come, we've not realized how this life pales in comparison to what is coming. We long for heaven because there we will be united with Christ. Christ. As we long for heaven, we see God's great design for our resurrected, transformed bodies. And as we long to be united with Christ, we also find one final reason why we should long for heaven in verses 50 through 57. So let's read them together. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul paints for us this great event. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. We, right now, are made up of the wrong stuff. We, as natural beings, are unable to inherit the kingdom of God because of our perishable nature. Our bodies are marked for death. It is as if we have come to a dead end and there is no way around the logical conclusion. We can't see above, we can't go below, we can't go around because we are made of death. And is here as we stand, defeated, waiting to perish, that in one instant God provides a solution, a mystery. Paul repeats himself, saying the same thing twice, saying it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, so that we don't miss that this is in a very instant, the smallest measure of time possible. That in one instant we will be perishable, weak, and dishonorable, but in the very next, in less than the blink of an eye, at the time God chooses, everything will be different. You will no longer be standing anticipating death. We will be standing, inheriting life. The perishable will cease and give way to the imperishable. The immortal body uh, putting on immortality. The transformation in that instant will have taken place and we will no longer be longing for heaven because our perishable bodies have been replaced. We will be united with Christ, with the throng of believers together rejoicing in heaven, never again having to face death to say another goodbye to cling and to hope. that death does not take someone else. We will stop having to long for what is to come and we will be celebrating what is here. And there we will be able to say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting?" We long for heaven because there God is victorious. We long for heaven because one day each one of us as believers in Jesus Christ will be a living demonstration that Jesus has defeated death. Our transformation will tell that death no longer rules. It no longer claims lives but has been defeated and destroyed. It means we will no longer face the sting of death. Like Harry talked about last week, now death is our enemy. We long for heaven because God's victory there means that the enemy is defeated. There we will not know what it is like now as we do to despise death. We won't need to be praying that God would choose in His will to keep and preserve someone's life because death will be gone. That won't be an option. Victory also means that the devil's attacks in the form of sin will also be defeated. We long for heaven's victory because the struggle against sin in this life is exhausting. We are in a constant battle and everything that is going on in our world right now that grieves our hearts is as a result of sin. But victory over death also means victory over sin. So we long for heaven knowing that there we find victory. I was studying this passage this week and I was struck by the fact that no matter how we talk about this, I could spend the most amount of time crafting what I think is the best words possible. And you could get the best image that I could portray, but none of us here would be able to understand how great this will be. Because now we are stuck in mortal, perishable bodies. We long for heaven because the greatness is that we will no longer have that. The natural will give way to the spiritual. And we long because though we can talk about it, we can't even fully understand how exciting that it will be greater than we can even imagine or dream. In light of this victory, the culmination of all of our longing for transformation, for unity with Christ, Paul closes with this final verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here he ties it back together for us and the Corinthians. The Corinthians needed this comprehensive explanation to uh, slap them back into shape. Their actions were not reflecting the reality of the resurrection they claimed to know. Rather than living in the truth and the hope of the resurrection, they were putting it all aside for the sake of their own selfish, sinful desires. Hopefully we this morning do not fall into the same foolishness. The resurrection is not meant to stand alone like encyclopedic knowledge. Not just meant to be grasped with our heads in the best way possible, cataloged and put on a shelf so that we forget about it and it gets dusty. This is why Paul spends an entire chapter laying out the resurrection, its validity and its meaning for us as believers. His defense and explanation is so that this might grip our hearts and move us to action. For it is when we long for heaven that we can effectively and rightly live here on this earth. As believers, we should constantly have a heavenly perspective. We should be longing for heaven, fixing our eyes upon it. But the danger is that we miss this last verse. That we are so trained on what is to come that we are unfaithful to what God has for us here and now. Thinking back to the soccer game I mentioned in the beginning, the prospect of the American food moved us to action. It didn't just cause us to sit there and do nothing until the end of the game. Our longing for heaven must be more than when we just tra- than where we train our eyes. It needs to be where we put our steps. How we live rightly in this world to remain steadfast immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord we are steadfast in this world as we work out our salvation day in and day out not ever shying or think we've gotten to a certain point that we stop growing as a believer we remain faithful to what God has for us until the time when he does call us home we are immovable as we hold to what we know is true even in the face of the destructive opposition that faces us in every aspect of our lives today. We seek God's Word with perseverance to know what is right and wrong. Even as everything in this world would seek to realign and redefine morality, we hold to what we know what is true. We are immovable. And we abound in the work of the Lord as we serve this world to proclaim Christ's name in our every action says we long for heaven that we can then effectively live on this earth. And this morning, I want us to go away thinking about this in practical ways. First, we must ask ourselves, am I longing for heaven? As I said before, this is something I find myself and found myself this week struggling with as I preached, We can tend to be satisfied here. We can tend to be glad to be in this life and uh, going forth pursuing the things of this world. Our job's good. It's a good thing to uh, build up your family. You want to redo a part of your house so that it looks better? But in doing so, heaven and our final destination becomes a bit on the back burner. Look again at the truths of this passage and of this chapter. God has designed this great final chapter where we will be transformed and united with Christ and God will be victorious over death. Let's not get stuck in this chapter thinking that this is the climax. It has not yet come. Even the greatest intimacy with Christ we can imagine right now will pale in comparison I think of it like a a menu at a restaurant where you sit down and they place before you the menu and you say this is what you are going to be eating tonight and if you're sitting there and if you're hungry your uh, mouth starts to water you become anxious you're looking for the waiter to deliver that food because you know it's coming this should be our mindset That we have seen through God's word the menu. And we know what is coming and we are longing, our mouth is watering for what God has in store for us. Long for heaven. And there, in anticipation, knowing that it's coming soon. We also must not forget to be steadfast, immovable and abounding in the Lord's work. As you look at these three actions, every single one takes a fixed desire. If our heart is not longing for heaven, we won't be able to be steadfast. There's so many things in our lives right now that could easily keep us from keeping our eyes fixed there and longing for what we know is to come. People jumping ship around us, telling you, don't worry about investing in that neighbor. Don't worry about pursuing after them, even if it gets rough. Don't keep pursuing that relationship. But we need to remain steadfast in what we know God has for us here on this earth. In today's world, it's becoming increasingly hard to be immovable, to stand firm where we are. Everything on every side would attack, but if our eyes are focused on heaven, not focused on anything else, it is in that that we can be like a pillar, stood still, not giving in to the pressures that come in our society in every single direction. Be immovable as your eyes are fixed on the Lord. And in that, abound in the Lord's work. We have not fixed our eyes so that we might give up on this world. We pursue after what God would have for us as in the time that he has given us here on this earth. Work out your salvation. Do what you know he has called us to do. It's only when we long for heaven that we can do this. Paul closes this chapter, this final verse, saying, you know, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We can do all of this because we know what's coming. So long for heaven. But don't let that longing stop you from doing what we are called to do on this earth.
0: Let's pray.